The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Without further delay, uh, let's pursue the word. So, in those days, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, multiplying, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, and they said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, like Timon and Pumbaa, I guess, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and they laid hands on them. And so the Word of God spread And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So in verses 1 through 7, like uh, I want to break this down for us. Um, So the honeymoon is is kind of over uh, for the church, right? Like the birth of the church, uh, the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. The church is beginning to add and multiply. We've seen that up until this point. Uh, And the church is growing. People are beginning to get filled with the Holy Spirit. People are getting healed. Uh, The kingdom of God is moving forward rapidly, almost without hiccup, really until this point, right? We saw last week persecution started to creep into the church, right? Now this week, we're going to see some division start to creep into the church. So when I say the honeymoon is over, I mean things are starting to get real, um, meaning that the, there's an awareness that there's a real adversary that's coming against the church, okay? And so I, I would say that even in your life, certainly it's been the case in my life, I remember the honeymoon season, man, when I met Jesus. Wow, was it awesome. I mean, it was like my faith was so fresh. I had not ever felt attack from the enemy. All I knew, like Paul says, if I know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, like that felt like that's all I knew. All I knew was that Jesus died for me and that I was free, man. Like, it was awesome. It was honeymoon time, right? Like, I was living my best spiritual life, I thought. And then, of course, things happened. Like, I started to experience uh, things like fear and anxiety for the first time in my life. I'd never really felt that before. And so I started hitting some roadblocks. I started encountering some challenges and, and the Lord was working me through that. And what was cool was God was using that to stretch and to grow me. But indeed, the honeymoon season was over. The kingdom work now um, was to begin. And so um, the first conflict that we see is over a cultural difference. It's over a cultural difference. So you had the Greek-speaking Jews, or those of the disbursement, okay? Those are the Hellenistic Jews. They were the Jews that had been dispersed from 
um, Jerusalem, okay, from the area of Judea. They were out in the world. And so the Greek culture, although Rome was in power at this time, the prominent culture was Greek. The language, um, the food, the culture. Uh, the, the, is, I, there's an old saying um, that although the, the, the Romans, um, from a military perspective, uh, won over the Greeks, the Greeks won over from a culture perspective. The Greek culture really implemented uh, the day. And so the Hellenistic Jews were just simply Jews that spoke Greek. And they lived the Greek lifestyle, okay? Um, and in the, uh, the Aramaic-speaking Jews, these were the Hebraic Jews, okay? So Jesus himself spoke in Aramaic, okay? So the Aramaic Jews, or the Hebraic Jews, they were your more traditional, um, local, uh, they were your OGs. Of, of Jerusalem, okay? Those were your Hebraic Jews. And so uh, both groups worshipped Jesus. Both groups in this example, in this text, believed that Jesus um, was Lord and Savior, but they were divided over cultural differences. You, you could almost say like in today's terms, like just to give you a more um, present day example, you know, the the Hebraic Jews were kind of like your old school tucked in shirt, you know, gray hair to the side, polo, you know, Lincoln car driving, Baptist church going family, right? And your Hellenistic Jews, they're your hipsters, man. They're like me and Corey, you know, like maybe a hat to the side, maybe some shoes you've never seen, right? So, um, you know, you're, uh, what do they call Millennials, right? There's a big ga- a divide between, you know, uh, old school traditional Americans and then these new Millennials, you know. They're like these aliens that have invaded the, U- the United <laughs> States, right? And so, and unfortunately, I am a millennial, right? And I, I don't know if I'm proud to be one or not, but that's not part of the sermon. Um, but that, does that give you, that gives you an example of like, so there were these cultural differences, right, where um, their lifestyles were different. And the, the Hellenists, the millennials, they felt like they were, uh, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food, okay? And so uh, it's cool to see that like, uh, even in the early days of the church, the, the people, the family of God, the church of God, um, was tending to the, the needs, like of the people, daily distribution of food. And that wasn't just um, a, a food-based need. Um, it, wasn't, it didn't concern the actual serving of food and, and cleaning of the tables. Um, it, it, it speaks to a practical administration uh, of the financial responsibilities um, and to, to meet the physical needs. And so it was a, it was a ministry. Like there, there was a, um, the daily distribution of food was a, was a, uh, an ex- a ministry extension, okay, of the local church. But there was a problem, apparently. Um, there was a problem. Now, we actually don't know if this was true or not. Like, I find that interesting in terms of, like, we don't actually know if the widows were being overlooked, like, truthfully, or if there was just this accusation that the widows were being overlooked, right? Um, so what, what, what really is of, um, of importance here is, uh, is to know that, like, you know, conflict is going to happen. Like, conflict within the context of the church is going to happen, it's what we do with it and how we handle it 
And how we seek the Lord and His counsel in it is what really separates those who are walking and living for the Lord and those who are not. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the difference between a healthy church and an unhealthy church. And so we want to look and see how did the apostles handle this division. But before we do that, I want to read, and like th- I, was, I was a little struck by this, um, not with surprise, but just with, uh, with the boldness that the Lord uses in His Word to communicate to us um, the things that he hates. hates is, hate is a strong word. But I noticed in Proverbs chapter 6, you're welcome to follow with me there if you'd like, but I'm going to just touch on it briefly. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 say this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, and they are as follows. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I found that fascinating. That's exactly what's happened here in the book of Acts, right? Like, we have people that have, whether valid or not, they've stirred up conflict in the community. The Lord hates that. Like, he hates that. That's a strong word, but I can see why. Like, it can produce problems. Like, I have been, uh, I, I would never, certainly not to this point in my life, claim to be any sort of, like, um, ultra-seasoned, um, you know, occupational ministry professional. But in my short nine years of knowing and believing in Jesus, and to the degree that he's called me into ministry to this point in my life, I have been ex- Like I have been exposed and have laid witness to what it looks like for people to create a ruckus in the community of God. And it is, uh, it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's, it's hurtful. It's challenging to navigate. Um, And the more God uh, puts you in a leadership position, the harder it is to navigate um, what it's like for people to create problems within the community of God. And so anyway, just if, if you have a, if there's a problem, within the context of the church, meaning that um, there's a need that's not being met, um, certainly do exactly as, as the Hellenists did. Bring it to the apostles. Bring it to the, the leaders of the church so that it can be addressed. But be very careful not to stir up strife like in the process. It's okay that there's a need. It's okay that there's a miss. I, you know, I mean, we're obviously sinful people or we're, we're not perfect, um, there's going to be gaps. And in fact, um, the larger of the congregation, uh, both in the context of our local church here, like at Overland Park Community Church, and even in the, in the church of the first century, like the church was growing. And so as the church grows, like there's going to be gaps, like things are going to get missed. Pe- people are going to have needs. Um, things are, are going to happen that are going to get missed. And so it's there's, there's an appropriate way if you feel there's a miss or do you feel like there's something lacking within the context of the execution of the daily needs within the local church, bring it up to the, to your, to the staff um, and, and let the Lord, through them, appropriate the right um, need to be met, the, the, the right means uh, of getting that executed. And so, but I think there's a very fine line between bringing it up to the, uh, to the pastoral team, uh, to the leadership team, uh, and then gossiping about it, right? And so this is just a very um, 
the, I think that this, the, the Lord is saying to us as a church family, like the Lord wants us to use this text and to use his word to strengthen us as a body. Like Jesus said, I will build um, the church, right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the Lord's desire always is that we are being molded and strengthened and conformed into the image of Christ to the point where the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Um, and, and so Satan is using uh, a very typical uh, tactic here um, to, I, I, actually took, I took this note that Satan loves to use an unintentional wrong to begin a conflict. Satan loves to use an unintentional wrong to begin a conflict. I, certainly the church did not mean to overlook. If it happened, you know, if indeed it was true that they were overlooking the widows during the distribution of the food, it was very likely that it was unintentional. And Satan was wanting to stir up a conflict. So that's pretty typical of him. And we can kind of have an awareness of how the devil likes to move. The devil uses the same tactics over and over. Same tactics he used on the early church back in the days of the apostles, he's using today, okay? Um, <clears throat> now, the Greeks, okay, the, the men that were selected, Timon, Timon and Pumbaa, um, the, the Greeks that were selected, I'm sorry, the, the people that were selected were Greek. I, thought, I found that interesting, that the, the Greeks, the Hellenists, they were the ones that had the complaint originally, which it was okay that they had the complaint. And they did the right thing by bringing it up to the apostles. But it was interesting that the apostles, the seven men that they actually appointed to oversee that ministry, to make sure that the need was being met in an appropriate way, were actually Greeks. And I've just found that interesting. Like, uh, in, in my experience in ministry, um, we, I've had people come to, to me and to the, the pastoral leadership that I've uh, submitted myself to, both in this church and my church in Arkansas uh, that we were a part of. Like, I, I've, I've heard things like people come to me or to the church and say, man, there's a need here. Like, we, wh whatever it may be, whether we need to engage in this ministry or we need to feed these people or we need to give money here or we need to, you know, do this or do that, right? We need to, there's always areas of ministry. There's always areas of opportunity. And it's interesting that the, the pastor, uh, you know, the wise thing for the pastor to do or to say is, number one, pray about it, because that's what it says that um, they, they were committed to, was to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And so your, your pastor, like for example, like in the context of our church here, like Jimmy Holbrook, like his primary function, his primary um, mode of operation, like the most important thing that he does for the kingdom of God is to bless the family of God by committing his life to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's not that, that Jimmy or myself or Corey or anyone else on staff maybe doesn't want to engage uh, in a certain area of ministry. It's not that we don't see a need in a certain area of ministry. But what's cool is if it's brought to our attention and we begin to pray about it and the Lord presents us opportunity to appoint people blessing and oversight over an area of ministry, much like the Greeks were appointed over the Greek problem. The problem was that the Greeks weren't getting the food, right? Uh, and so let's put Greek people oh, in charge of it to see that it gets done. They were closest to the ministry. They were the ones that actually had the heart to see that, that it got um, executed with, with you know, passion and, and godly wisdom. So I think that's interesting. Like, um, you know, maybe the Lord's calling 
one of you to an area of need or an area of service um, where you have a heart for. Um, and, you know, the, the, the pastor of the church um, cannot be giving himself to every possible need in the community or else the word of God would be departed from and, and his prayer life would, would start to diminish. Um, I, I have, in my own life, have found um, that uh, busying yourself with prayer and with, with preparation for ministry to deliver the word of God is a lot more work than you would think it is. Like, it just, it really is. I, and I, it's good work. It's amazing work. But it can be very taxing. Uh, it can be, you know, Jimmy and I joke at times, like sometimes after you deliver a service, you just like go home and you just want to pass out. You know, you're like, it, it can make you very tired. You, you're, you're giving the Lord and, 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 and the church all that you have through what the Holy Spirit is telling you to deliver. Uh, and it can exhaust you uh, in a very... A fulfilling way. But, um, you know, <clears throat> the fact that the apostles had busied themselves with prayer and the ministry of the word shows how energetically they did these things, like in how consuming it is to pray and preach rightly. It's very consuming, and they, they had a, recogni uh, a recognition for that. This, I, I read about a story uh, that, that I wanted to share. And so there was a young man uh, that said to a preacher, uh, I'd give the whole world to be able to teach the Bible like you. And the preacher looked the kid straight in the eye and said, good, because that's exactly what it'll cost you. And I really like that. Uh, and I found that to, to be true in my life. The laying on of hands, I, I want to touch on that. Like It says that the uh, apostles laid hands on those whom were chosen to oversee the ministry. What I love is that, like, at the end of the day, it really was, um, uh, it was, it was feeding people, and it was making sure the financial uh, and administrative responsibilities were taken care of so that the widows had food to eat. At the end of the day, that's really what it was. And I love how serious the apostles took it. They were like, all right, we're going we're gonna to organize these seven men. We're going to send them out to make sure that this need is addressed and that it doesn't prohibit the movement of the kingdom of God. And they're like, we're going to lay hands on these young men, that God would bless them and, and, and fulfill this, this good work for the kingdom of God in a mighty way. And I think sometimes we undermine areas of the ministry that don't seem glamorous. You know, it's like, I hear this a lot. In fact, I was guilty of this myself. I, I remember when I first got saved, we had lived in Arkansas for a brief time. We moved to Texas. I started a job there with Walmart, working in an optical lab. We were living in Grapevine, Texas, and my uncle, my deceased uncle's best friend, had started a church in Highland Village, Texas. In fact, some of you know Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler's a very famous pastor um, in Highland Village, Texas. He has an amazing church with an incredible story. This church was being planted right across the street from Matt Chandler's church. And so anyway, we were, me, Molly and I were kind of eager beaver. We were wanting to get in the game. You know, we were wanting to take massive action like we talked about last week and grow in our faith and step in and serve and be a part of the kingdom of God. And man, we were still kind of in that honeymoon phase and I went to Todd. Todd was his name. He was the preacher, an amazing guy. He, I said, Todd, what can I do, brother? I'm, I'm saved. I know Jesus. I'm excited to get in the game, brother. What can I do? He said, dude, the greatest need we have in the church, man, is people knowing where to park. I'm like, really? Like, that's it, man? Like, you, like look at that guy. Like, he, 
Does he even know Jesus? Can he help with the cones, you know? I mean, that's really my sinful heart. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, can't that guy help with the cones? Like, he's not doing anything. I've seen him eat six donuts, you know? And, but, and so my heart was hard to, like, I, I was, like, honestly frustrated. I'm like, really, the cones? And so here, I, in, in Texas heat, man, Texas heat's the real deal. And so I'm standing out there in the parking lot, you know, and I'm moving cones, and, you know, and I'm waving people in, and I'm like, is this the work of the Lord? Like, really? You know? But what's cool was Todd was very encouraging, you know, and he was much like, he reminded me of the apostles, and, and he was letting me know, like, how important it was, man, that I was really the first point of contact for a, first, for a visitor. Like, I was the first person that anybody saw anything about Elevation Church, which was the name of the church. You know, man, my smile, my wave, whatever it was, man, you know, the way I put that cone, you know, man, it just really, like, 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 it could advance the kingdom of God, you know? And so Todd had an amazing way of encouraging me to walk out that calling in my life for that season. And that's the other thing. It's like everything is seasonal. Like, if God's called you to the coffee bar, you're not going to be working in the coffee bar forever, Ron, Sherry. The Lord is going to call you to greater things. But it is a good thing right now. It is a good thing right now. And so um, I just love how serious the apostles took it. They laid hands on them, and they said, like, Lord, be with them, bless them. Uh, I just love this, the, the sensitivity to it. Uh, everything in ministry, if God's called you to it, is important. I also took note that uh, the Greek word for uh, distribution is the same word for ministry, in, in, in verse 1 and verse 4. So uh, the idea behind the word in both places is service, whether in practical or spiritual ways. So God may be asking you to serve practically or to serve very spiritually. Either way, if it is of the Lord, it is his service, and you should serve with all of your heart as if God has, himself has called you to it. So count it a privilege to serve the Lord in the basic Counted a privilege to serve the Lord in the basic. I think that's a building block for even this church. There's some basic needs in this church. There's some fundamental things. Like there's some very basic, average, normal volunteer positions that are needed within the context of this body in order to grow. Like count that as a privilege and serve the Lord with all your heart. Like and he, he will raise you up. He's faithful to do that. Jesus showed the ultimate measure of love and service by literally washing the feet of his disciples. So keep that in mind as we look to model Jesus. So in verse 7, I like that Luke summarizes kind of what's going on here, right? In verse 7, um, and I, I'm going to get used to this Bible, man. I told you all last week I got a new Bible, man. It's got to get used to it. Um, he, he, he's summarized. Luke does this four times, actually, in the book of Acts. In verse 7, he just summarizes, and he says, so basically he's saying, hey, look, there was a situation that came up in the church. It got handled uh, in a godly way, and now it says in verse 7, man, so the word of God kept spreading. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Like, he's just giving an update and a summary. He's saying, man, this thing came up, God, God moved in this, and now we're, we're moving on. And so in verse 8 through 15, read with me. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews 
of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. It's interesting to note that these Jews of the synagogue of the freedmen are really Saul of Tarsus's people. Like, these are his people group. So Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes Paul the Apostle, we'll get into that later uh, in the book of Acts, but it's important to know that the Gospel is now starting to reach outside of the walls of Judea. Jesus said that the Gospel would go from Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's really cool to see how in Acts it's starting to get out of it. You know, at first, up until this point, really, the gospel of Jesus Christ has really only been scoped to the town of Jerusalem. And it's just now starting to reach out, right? Now it says that the, at the synagogue of the freedmen, out, out on the outskirts, like in Cilicia and Cyrene and Alexandria, so there's some, some suburbs are starting to feel the wake of the gospel, okay? And it says um, in verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So Stephen was filled with the Spirit. Then they secretly persuaded men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen, they brought him before the Sanhedrin, and they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was that of an angel. Impressive passage here. Um, what I love is that Stephen, who was one of the seven that were commissioned to serve the tables to make sure that the widows were fed, is now preaching boldly before the leaders and teachers of the law, who, uh, and he is proclaiming the good news of Jesus to them. So what God originally uh, had appointed Stephen to serve tables because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because he was filled with the Spirit in his life, he began to dynamically start stirring hearts towards Jesus. I love that. And, like, and, and that can be so applicable to us. Like God may be encouraging you or calling you into what could seem to be a very practical act of service, but you very well, as you're filled with the Spirit of the Lord, could begin stirring hearts and towards Jesus, much like Stephen is doing here. And um, his face shone like an angel. I love that. His face shone like an angel. The same thing happened to Moses after he had been with the Lord. They had looked at Moses and seen Moses' face as an angel. What's awesome here is that Stephen is bringing and preaching the truth about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's giving them a very stern message, which without a doubt is, is very much involved. Uh, without a doubt, his preaching would include that of, hey, your, your sin separates you from God. Apart from the blood of Jesus, apart from acknowledging this man's blood and resurrection, you will not be saved. No matter whether you're a Greek-speaking Jew, or an Aramaic-speaking Jew, whether you wear a cool hat or an ugly one, you are not saved without this man's blood covering your sin and believing upon his resurrection. And so it was a very stern message, a very sharp message, yet they saw his face like an angel. 
I think for us too, um, the challenge for, for us and really the, where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in is even me today, like even as I preach a very firm and harsh, harsh message, my prayer is that you would not literally see my face as that of an angel, but that you would be receiving challenging truth in a loving godly way like you would know that my heart condition is for the Lord and to present his truth to you as a as a beacon uh, I'm just a conduit for a loving God reaching you wanting to raise you up and draw you closer to himself because he knows that at the end of the day that will fill you with more purpose in your life than anything else in this world can offer and so um, face shown like an the truth about Jesus can be harsh to some but we can still communicate it in love and how do we do that? So like this is the crux of the message here. I, I couldn't help but summarize like what is really happening to this point in the book of Acts. Because next week we're going we're gonna to get, I mean next week is going to be probably the funnest sermon I could possibly preach. It is the monologue of Stephen. He preaches one of the most studly messages in all of scripture. And he, and how did he, how was he able to do that? How was the church moving forward? How were the apostles able to facilitate ministry in such an impressive way to this point? It, the truth is, is that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw that three times just in these 15 verses. The Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Says it about Stephen twice. Says it about the seven men that were chosen as deacons over the responsibility once. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why they were chosen. That's what made them effective. That's why they were powerful. That's how the kingdom of God was moving in and through them, was they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to spend the balance of the time uh, encouraging you and stoking your, your fire with some answers, maybe, to some questions around what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I do that? Um, and, 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 you know, when can I, can I get that for myself? A filling of the Holy Spirit. So first is how. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Christ. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. We see that in the Scriptures. So if I am filled with the Spirit, I am abiding in Christ. I'm walking in the light as He is the light. So to be filled with the Spirit, you've got, like we talked about last week, taking massive action towards the person of Jesus. If you're abiding in Jesus then you are going to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit Himself testifies to the person of Jesus. The amazing fact that Christ lives in you, which is a very key component, that, that is one of the most foundational doctrines in all of Scripture, is that if you become a believer in Jesus Christ, professing faith in Him as your Lord and Savior, then it says the Bible says you will be filled with the Spirit of God, the same one that raised Christ from the dead. It's one of the most important truths in the Word of God. That the standards of, Christian, of the Christian life were so high, so high, impossible to achieve according to the Word of God with the exception of one man. Only Jesus fulfilled this exceptional high calling of a righteous life in God. And so that person, the one and only person who's fulfilled the ultimate righteous requirement of God, lives in you. If you he, like, now through His indwelling presence, He wants to enable all of those who place their trust in Him. That's very important. That the one who lived the perfect life lives in you and wants to enable you to do the same. 
So how do we bear fruit then? Like, that's what we're talking about this kingdom series. We want the, we're talking about the kingdom of God and how it moves. And we're reading in Acts about people getting saved daily. And the church is multiplying. And despite significant opposition, whether it's from the Sanhedrin or the Hellenist, uh, Hellenistic Jews or whatever it is, amidst incredible opposition, the church keeps exploding. It keeps growing. They're bearing fruit. How does that happen? This is key. If you're willing for Jesus to live his resurrection life in and through you, you will bear spiritual fruit as naturally as a healthy vine bears normal fruit. I have a cherry tree in my yard. Man, I love this cherry tree. Certain times of the year, man, it pops these just unbelievable cherries. They're a little sour, but they are amazing. And I love riding on my mower and pulling up under that tree and... Popping, them, popping a cherry down every once in a while while I'm mowing the yard. Kids and I usually back the truck up once a year to this tree and we stand on the tailgate and man, we just eat cherries until we, we can't possibly stand it any longer. But that tree naturally produces fruit. It just does. Like it's a cherry tree. It produces fruit. Same with you. Like it, <clears throat> if you're willing to let Jesus have all of your life, you will start to naturally produce fruit for the kingdom of God. It will start to come out of you. Like as naturally as, a, as that cherry tree produces cherries, and without a doubt they are some of the most amazing cherries I've ever had, your life too will start to just naturally and abundantly produce fruit. The Bible promises that. Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. You could be the greatest preacher, you could be the greatest teacher, you could teach a Sunday school, you could volunteer, you could lead all sorts of ministries, you could live a clean, a moral life, you could memorize thousands of verses of scripture, but if you are not bearing fruit, listen to this, if you are not bearing fruit in the sense that you are introducing and leading others into a deeper relationship with Christ, you are not filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. I'm going to repeat that. If you are not bearing fruit in the sense that you are introducing and leading others into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you're not filled with the Holy Spirit bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Leading others and introducing others to Christ is essential. That's why the disciples were being persecuted, because they were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to explain briefly the difference between evangelism and discipleship. Discipleship is obviously a very important part of what we're doing here in the context of OPCC. We feel a strong pressing upon our hearts as a leadership team to invest in the sheep as uh, disciple-making followers of Jesus Christ. Like, we want you guys to be empowered, filled with the Spirit, and know how to go therefore and make disciples, fulfilling the great commission of Jesus Christ on every one of our lives sitting in here. Now, discipleship is a process. It takes time for a man or a woman to invite you into their life, to spend time with you, to invest in you, and you were raised up in the Word of God, in the knowledge of the truth, and filled with the Spirit and sent out. That takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. But you, uh, you can practice um, discipleship and evangelism. They go hand in hand. Discipleship and evangelism both bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So no matter where you're at with discipleship, you always have evangelism to flex. 
You can always share the good news of Jesus as the Spirit leads. Always. Anywhere. Anytime. Any place. If you know the gospel, then you can share it. That is evangelism. That's telling the good news, right? So, um, introducing others to Christ. Whether it's a first-time salvation experience or you've invited a man or woman into your life to invest in for years. You're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. That person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only do you receive power when, for witnessing, though. That's not just the role of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just empower you so you can preach. He doesn't just empower you so that you can teach the Word of God or proclaim the Gospel to a stranger. Your personality begins to change. Like, I remember when I first came to know Jesus, man, and I was filled with the Spirit as I was pursuing hard a relationship with Jesus, I started hearing music different. The words, the lyrics that I was listening to, I would listen to very carnal music before I was saved. And then I got saved, and I was like, ugh. But I didn't know it was ugh before. My personality started changing. I used to watch movies and binge watch inappropriate things on TV or on the internet or whatever. And then I started realizing, oh, that's not, you know, that is ugly. That's nasty. That's sinful. And I didn't know that it was beforehand. I was numb. The Holy Spirit lifts the veil off of your eyes. He lets you see the world as Christ sees it. He lets you see things that, ex that expose you to sin. He, he shows you that's sin, bro. That is ungodly. That is confusing. That is division. That, that will stumble you. He, he's pointing things out to you. But in order to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to start yielding to that or else you will choke out the work of the Spirit in your life. And you will go right back to being numb. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you will live as if Christ is dead. Because the Holy Spirit is not burning inside of you, you're not yielding to Him. He's wanting to change your personality. He's wanting to develop in you a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what we are to be born again. He's trying to create the new man or the new woman in you, and you're not yielding to the things that the Lord is showing you. You must be changed. In order to be Spirit-filled, you must be changed. Like, you have to have had a story about an old life and a new one. That is the born-again experience. And so, uh, I'll start to, to land it here. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 encourages us to be constantly and continually directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Colossians 3.16 tells us to let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. So the end result of both letting the Word of Christ dwell in you and being filled with the Holy Spirit, is that you will talk much about the Lord. Like, stories of Jesus. We talk about this, I feel like every time I preach, I'm talking about stories to some degree. But it's how the kingdom moves. And when you're, when you're embedded in the Word of God and filled with the Spirit, the kingdom is always rolling out of your life. And this truly is the abundant life. Yet most Christians are experiencing very little of it. Very little of it. I cannot, I don't know the percentages. It would be ungodly for me to even get close to sharing a percentage, but I bet it's pretty high of people that if you ask them if they believe in Jesus as their Savior, they would say yes, but they are not filled with the Spirit. The fruit is not coming out of their life. That cherry tree's got no cherries on it. There's nothing to enjoy there. The fruit is not being produced. And I, so the big idea here, and I'll ask the band to come forward 
and play as I, as I wrap this up. And we're going to partake in, in communion here in just a moment. But I, I want to express that the kingdom of God moves through spirit-filled Christians. The kingdom of God moves through spirit-filled believers. Like that is, that is it. That is the only way that the kingdom moves forward when God wants to use us is that we are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord always testifies to Jesus and the good things of Him. But I was speaking with my wife, man. I'm so thankful the Lord has given me a, a wife that can encourage me. She, she speaks lo- lots of wisdom into my life. I am forever, eternally grateful for my wife, Molly. And there's something really special if you have a spouse, particularly you men, if you have a spouse, a woman that honors and walks with the Lord, you know what a blessing that is. And I was talking to Molly this morning even, and I, t- I, I took the time to put this in my notes because I felt like it was so true. And she said, fruit leads to opportunities to share about Jesus. Fruit leads to opportunities to share about Jesus. It's not, I need to share so that I can bear fruit. Like, is that what Shay's saying? Is Shay telling me to just go out there, man, and tell that construction worker that painted our parking lot or, or go tell the guy at Arby's when I'm getting a, a roast beef and cheese, like tell him that Jesus loves him. Like, is that what God wants me to do? Is that how I'm going to bear fruit in my life? If the Lord's telling you to do it, then yes. But the answer is what, exactly what Molly said. It's being spirit-filled is what produces fruit. And it's the fruit in your life that other people see that it open up the window of opportunity for you to proclaim the truth. It's not go proclaim the truth so that you can bear fruit and opportunities open, open up. We're going to read next week about Stephen, and I'm so excited to teach through that with you guys. But you'll see where Stephen, man, we talk, I hear people all the time say, man, I, I would love to share about Jesus. I just never get a, a, an open door, you know? Well, God may not give you an open door. He may crack a window, and he wants to see if you're going to move through it. Stephen, gave a, uh, Stephen was given a tiny crack in verse 1. It says, the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? They're saying that you won't stop preaching about Jesus. They're saying that Jesus fulfilled the law. Are these things true? His eyes opened up, man, as if the heavens opened. The Lord swung the doors wide open. And next week, we're going to read about how Stephen gives him a history lesson and preaches one of the greatest sermons in the New Testament. There was an opportunity there, but it was because there was fruit in his life. He was filled with the Spirit. He was preaching the gospel, producing fruit, and, it was, and the windows of opportunity started to happen for him, not the other way around. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www dot overlandpark dot cc